Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez-Scales, at your disposal. Another lush broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, and brace yourselves yet again. Author and motivational speaker Mujahid Akil returns to expound upon the correlation between absent fathers by virtue of imprisonment. Please allow me to convey edgewise that this is fortunately not a male bashing episode, yet quite the contrary, ladies and gentlemen. Case in point, courtesy of my newfound enlightenment yielded by Mujahid Akil himself. I have acquired a gray shades perspective that not all fathers are absent by choice. Hence, mass incarceration plays a significant role in this equation or formula. My beloved Maximo is uncoincidentally void of a biological father due to extraordinary circumstances induced by the perilous path his late father had elected to canvas. Now, I wholeheartedly confess that this harsh and blatant reality has consequently thrust me into a dark, dank, dismal, and bitter realm. However, by the grace of God, though not a holy roller, spiritual in fact, I'd managed to discard my resentment and, res- and, ye- and seize the comet's tail, enabling my healing. Although he regrettably, referring to my son's father, exercised his liberty and free will to live estranged and independent of our son, I acknowledge that an array of other fathers live separate from their sons involuntarily. One of the greatest tragedies in life is that fathers and sons can love each other deeply without ever getting to know one another, per Michael Josephson. Needless to say, this scientific certainty is a venomous, heart-wrenching reality. So let's buckle down and bear witness to Akil's professed living truth, as I call it, regarding the the ramifications, pardon me, imposed upon children and domestic households corresponding to incarcerated fathers. As we GPS track and locate institutionalized dads, let's ask ourselves if absentee dads are void by default. Furthermore, let's expound upon the role mass incarceration labors in this formula and delve deeper to decode the rationale behind this scenario and predicament. And now, for another original prose poem I scripted, aligned with the aforementioned topic titled, Paternal Underdog, Unscathed by the Unscorn. Exuberance, evoked by the melodic hymn, Lovely Day, splattered the atmosphere illustrated by watercolored festivities, confirming triumph yielded by the graceful, fluid rite of passage of the junior apprentice shedding his juvenile flesh prior to 
the evolution. Suddenly, thunder claps amid wailing wind as darkness descends and silence manifests, annihilating the glee spawned from infectious birdsong, incarcerating the calm which sullied the sprightly aura. The patriarch, abruptly ensnared, untraceably vanishes, leaving the bewildered product, ripening fruit of his loins, procreated via an amorous conduit, none other than his son, and solace, who collapsed, crashing upon feeble knees, gazing upward, uttering, O Father, where art thou? Unscorned and unabashingly basking in the remnants of boyhood, meshed, garnished with prevailing accolades, admiration for the paternal underdog torn from his grasp. And now, without further ado, I reintroduce to you Mujahid Akil. Welcome back to the Recalibrating the Scales radio show, Akil. How are you this evening? I'm excellent, sister. Thanks for having me back. And thank you again for that beautiful poem. I'm going to have to listen to that a couple of times to decode it because uh, you dropped a lot of science in that one right there. Well, I'll be more than more than happy to reiterate that poem. That'll be in my next volume of Part of My Vernacular, coming soon. Absolutely. So, so Akil, once again, a pleasure having you back. Thanks for carving out time, space, and energy to rejoin us again today. Can you enlighten our listeners, our new listeners, actually, about you and your field of expertise and your journey? Uh, yes, no problem. Uh, I am Mujahid Akil. Concerning this topic, uh, and pretty much every topic I speak on, you know, if I'm allowed to speak again, um, is, the, is that I was raised a fatherless child. My father died in 1985 when I was six. So, uh, you know, I came up without a dad. Uh, entered the street world, entered the world of gangs, and ultimately entered the world of confinement, or what they called a penitentiary. Uh, and being in there, I was able to meet a lot of people, and by far and wide, the, the majority of the people, the number that's in there, the men that's incarcerated, all grew up without fathers. I'm not saying it's 100%, but it's a good percentage. I go as high as 80 that, you know, when you ran into somebody and say, yeah, I was raised with my mom and my dad, you know, they were like the odd man out, you know, uh, in, the, in the jails because most of the people in there, I mean, they didn't have a father. That was like something that everybody had in common, you know, mostly everybody, is that, you know, their dad didn't raise them or their dad wasn't there uh, for whatever reason. So me, myself, being a, a child that was raised fatherless and being around a lot of different people who were raised fatherless, um, I think that gives me a, enough to speak on this subject. Uh, not to mention, I'm also a student. You know, I study. Uh, um, I study Dr. Chancellor Williams' Destruction of Black Civilization. Um, I study uh, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. May she rest in peace. You know, I study. You know, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and a host of other topics, uh, other books. I'm a student of psychology, so um, yeah, I don't. I feel pretty confident speaking on this matter. All right, so, and in the midst of creating this episode, i just like to get in edgewise, I stumbled upon the aforementioned quote by Michael Josephson that states the following. Again, one of the greatest tragedies in life is that fathers and sons can love each other deeply without getting to know one another. 
What are your sentiments pertaining to this stance? Uh, well, to me, that seems like the love is always there, even though the person might not be there. You know what I mean? So that's something that I've witnessed a lot of uh, during my incarceration because I was around a lot of people that were dads, you know, and they really did love their, their children. But due to circumstances, uh, they were swept into the system, and a lot of them, you know, didn't know personally, you know, their children. You know, they might get a picture or a letter or something like that, but, you know, if you get arrested, you know, and your child is two, you know, you go and you do 10, 15 years, you come out, you know, your child is grown now. But that love is still there, and the child might still love you, but it's also going to be a, a, a hatred or anger there because you weren't there for whatever the reason was. I could say I'm mad at my dad that he died, you know what I mean? But for whatever the reason was, he wasn't there. And for a child, that's all that they know is that you weren't there. So um, you know, as far as that, that statement goes, that's what, that's what I think about that is that sometimes things happen beyond our control, and, but that don't mean that you don't love somebody just because you're not there, even though that's the way it might feel. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting quote, and I definitely wanted to – to make some leave some room for that. So, in your opinion, are absentee dads void by default? You've you've indicated it, and can you decode the rationale behind the scenario or predicament? And furthermore, what role does mass incarceration play in this formula? All right. Um, well, before I get into that, I wanted to read you a quick quote, you know, for you and for the listeners. Um, it's from a very old document, you know, its uh, origins have been questioned here and there, but its basis is a uh, sound. It's from something called a Willie Lynch letter. And in the Willie Lynch letter, it say, in the making of a slave, you must use the female versus the male and the male versus the female. And it also says uh, that they we reverse nature by burning and pulling a civilized nigger apart and bull whipping the other to the point of death, all in her presence, her being a black woman. By her being left alone, unprotected, with the male image destroyed, the ordeal caused her to move from her psychological dependent state to a frozen independent state. In this frozen psychological state of independence, she would raise her male and female offspring in reverse roles. So, uh, I just want to say that a lot of the absenteeism, a lot of the fathers that I'm missing uh, <clears throat> is by design. You know what I mean? I definitely want to put out there that we can point at a lot of different things and say, well, this father's missing because of drug abuse or this father's missing because of gang activity or this father's missing just because he's an asshole. You know what I mean? But the ultimate reason why our families suffer from absent fathers is a racism, white supremacy, because our families have been taught or, or trained to survive without the man in the house. You know, we know that the, the first original deadbeat dad is the white man. You know, when he was sneaking into the, into the slave cabins and, and raping the women and having these illegitimate children that he wasn't taking care of, wasn't fathering, you know, putting them out there in the field, we know that he's the originator of that, we know that our families were splintered and torn apart 
uh, during slavery where we weren't allowed to have families. You know, if you had a, a, a man, a woman, and a child, and it seemed like they loved each other too much, they would they would they beat the man to death and sell the child down the road. And now here's the woman sitting there all by herself. So you know, these are some of the psychological effects that we are dealing with, and it's a real. Uh, it's a real dynamic, you know, it's not something I'm just making up. I'm not blaming everything on a white man. I'm just saying that centuries of programming, uh, they're not reversed in 20, 30, or 40 years. So mm. uh, a lot of the things that you see that's going on, even from, like I said, you got the asshole dads that just run off and leave their families because they weren't conditioned to be fathers. They weren't trained to be fathers. You know, anything that we do, you get trained to do. You can't be a doctor without going to school to be a doctor. You know, you got to have training. You can't even you can't even drive a truck without being trained. You know what I'm saying? So how can we expect people, uh, well, I'm not going to say people. How can we expect some black men to be fathers when they haven't been trained to be fathers? And this is uh, arguably one of the most important roles you ever go play in your life. But if your dad wasn't there and his dad wasn't there, you know, you don't have very much to go on as far as your school of thought and uh, the things that happen, you know, where you end up just running off. You also have our brothers that's out here that want to do for their families, that's trying to provide for their families. But for whatever reason, you know, maybe they don't have uh, college degrees where they educated and can get good jobs. Maybe they never even finished high school. You know, they was high school dads, you know. So in the process of, of that love, for their family and trying to earn money and going in the wrong direction, which, I mean, I can make a lot of arguments about the, the Contra scandal and the war on drugs and Reagan and, you know, the drug crack laws. I could do all of that, but I'm going to say that they made a mistake and they did things the wrong way and ended up, you know, in the crosshairs of the judicial system. But oh, none of that means that that person didn't care, you know. I'm talking about the ones that were out there, whether they were stealing, you know, um, selling illicit drugs, what they call now cracking cards. I mean, whatever it is you do to provide for your family, you know, you're trying your best. But a lot of times our best isn't the best option. But sometimes we don't have many options on that. So I just want to say that a lot of the fathers I do know, uh, they absent, but they don't want to be absent. You have a lot of dads that want to be there, that want to be a part of their kids' life. Uh, me, myself, you know, my biggest joy is being a part of my kids' life. So uh, I just feel I feel really bad for anybody that doesn't have that opportunity and doesn't have a chance to be uh, a real dad and to raise their kids and to go to the games and, the, you know, the celebrations and everything. Like, it's the greatest thing I do. I wouldn't want to – I don't want to do nothing else but be a dad. You know, I mean, I want my kids to grow up, but, you know, right now uh, I'm enjoying uh, the space that I'm in with my children. So I implore everybody, if any any men out there that's listening, you know, if you got kids and you're not taking care of them, go see them today. You know, I'm not telling you to change your life. I'm not telling you to, you know, be be a great dad, father of the year. I'm just saying go see them if you can. You know, give them a call if you can, you know, because your children need you. So no question. And, you know, and thank you for, for laying out that moral support. We all need that. Even for those of us, you know, for myself being a female. That's basically Absolutely. affirmation that we that we all need to hear because it's very easy to, to get caught up on the and the on the bandwagon. I've been there. I confess, being the transparent soul that I am, that I was on that bandwagon where I did male bash because my 
late ex-husband was not there for our son. You know, I've learned to reconcile that. Um, not to get too far off topic, however, I really did want to to allow Tazi to come on and to basically uh, convey her sentiments as well, her questions and sentiments. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so, Mr. Akil, I'm the single parent of a troubled, uh, daddyless teen girl. Her father has been absent throughout her life due to imprisonment. Um, can you speak a little bit about your thoughts on the effects that not having a father present can possibly have specifically on girls based on anything you've witnessed and or researched? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the male principle is a balance. So you can't, you can't, it's like you can't have up without down or you can't have hot without cold. So a household or a family is designed to be male, female, and child. You know, that's the original trinity, you know, what uh, Christians call today now, the, the, I think it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, the, the original trinity is man, woman, and child. And that's the way our families are supposed to be. So just like with any mathematical, mathematical equation, whether it's, you know, making a recipe for mashed potatoes um, or fixing your car, when you take one of those factors out, your equation is unbalanced. So uh, especially, I think, uh, for young women, for girls, you definitely need that father role there because, uh, like I was just reading in the Willie Lynch letter, uh, we know that the female is the most powerful person on the planet. You know what I'm saying? You're the ones that bring forth life. So you are the most powerful person on this planet. So that woman or that, that young female, she has to be taught you know, here we go back to training. She needs to be taught her value and her importance. And I think as a father, you know, I have a daughter myself. I think as a father, it's our job to show our daughters how important they really are. Because what we have a lot of what you see today is you have a lot of fatherless, you know, uh, daughters that's running around. Um, they're looking for love. They don't know how they're supposed to be treated by a man. They don't know how they're supposed to be talked to by a man. So, uh, and that's something that goes with them throughout their life. It's not something that's just an adolescent, you know, problem. That's something that's a problem throughout your life because, like I said, it's training. So uh, I think that as a father uh, with your daughters, you have to be a part of their lives. Uh, if it's not as important, I would say it's more important because the, the female is the backbone of the family. You know, regardless of, you know, the male role, some people say, well, the male role is, you know, to protect and to guide and to do all of this. But the woman has the children. So if you have a woman and she's messed up, that means she's raising messed up children. And that's just the way that that goes. So I think it's utterly important that any man that has a daughter, you, you have to be around your daughter to show her uh, that example and to be that example so that she knows what to look for, you know, in 5, 10, 15 years down the road, she knows what to look for. And she's not out just out here scavenging, you know, for any male, because everybody's not a man. You know, she's not just scavenging for any male attention. So that's my yeah. short answer on Did you want to inter interject with any thoughts, Tazi? Um, I don't. I think you're hitting some really good points, um, and, and I'm sort of taking mental notes of some things that maybe I should try to um, incorporate and steal in, in my daughter. 
Um, I am having a bit of some trouble with her uh, where she is acting out, like Mr. Uh, Mr. Keel mentioned, uh, act, acting out actually on a sexual matter, uh, seeking that attention from males. And so it's something that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis at this point. But, um, you know, it's a struggle. But, um, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, I guess. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And I'm I'm very grateful that you posed that question because that's the perfect segue into the other question that I was going to pose on the subject of the matriarch. I've heard that before, Akil. I've heard that many mm-hmm. times throughout the time that, yes, the matriarch in the family, the matriarch of the family is broken, then you fill in the blanks. Um, but the poem that I propose to you, there's a poem titled A Black Woman's Smile, and it's by Ty Grayell. I invited Absolutely. you to, to listen Absolutely. to it, you know, to read it at your leisure, and I welcome your feedback. I, I don't know if you've heard of it yourself, uh, Tazi, but it's a riveting poem. Um, I've actually seen Watching on YouTube, there's some video footage, some Im- you know images that are corresponding to the poem as he as he reads or recites it as a voiceover. But I implore you to listen to it if you haven't already. But you know, getting back to the original question, I digressed. What is your what feedback can you render on that um, particular yeah, poem? I did, um, I did get to listen to it. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, I did get a chance to listen to it. Um, I watched the YouTube video. Um, I actually found it before you had sent me the link. I found it, like, I think the day before, as soon as you sent it to me. I looked it up. <clears throat> and it's difficult. It's difficult, and that's something that um, I think me and you had spoke on earlier, um, is that for the, for the black female, for the black woman, especially here in America, um, something that a lot of people don't know is that when they were taking slaves, when they was taking, well, when they were taking people from Africa, you know, we wasn't slaves till we got here. But when they were taking people from Africa, um, a lot of the colonizers, they would take the men and the boys because they wanted the workers. And a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of those tribes, the women followed them to the boats because they didn't want to be left without their men. And they said, y'all, y'all got to take us too, basically. You know, so that's what you're dealing with when you're talking about a black woman. You're talking about somebody that's, uh, there's no other person that I would rather be with. You know, I got me a black woman, of course. But uh, there's no other person that I'd rather be with. But her turmoil and her journey has been just as difficult, if not more so, than the black man. Because she's been here through, she's been here with us throughout the entire thing. You know, throughout, you know, the, 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 the passage, you know, the middle passage and, jumping overboard, you know, with her baby, you know, to the sharks and, you know, getting over here and being raped and called nigger and having her breast cut off and, you know, just all the things that she's endured, uh, it's difficult for her to smile. I used to wonder about that too. Uh, you know, when I came home, I was telling uh, my friend that I was like, man, it seemed like the black women out here kind of angry, you know what I'm saying? But uh, even at that point, I didn't recognize what was going on and I didn't recognize uh, the black woman struggle and her part in everything that we've been through. So <clears throat> um, it's difficult for any black woman to smile, but I know that y'all still make it. I know that y'all still survive. Um, I think Maya Angelou had the, the cage bird sings and still I rise and, and things like that. So the the black woman is definitely powerful. She's, she's a rock 
you know, for the world. And uh, I just say, man, you got you got to treat your black woman right. You got to treat her right because we know that the world ain't got nothing for the black woman. They ain't got no love for the black woman. You know, uh, most of the world, they only want one thing from the black woman. So I just feel like we, as men, we have to embrace y'all and, and let y'all know that you're safe with us. You know, that the stuff that went on, you know, we can't rewrite history. We can't go back in time. But a lot of stuff that went on, you know, we just apologize for it and try to make it better. I had an incident where I was actually at the bank, and I was pulling money out the bank. And uh, uh, it was after hours, so we was at the ATM thing. So I'm standing there, and it was like one person in front of me. So a lady pulled up, and she wait, she was waiting in her car, you know, to use the ATM. So as as we were waiting, two more black guys walked up. So now it's three black men standing out there at the ATM. You know, she was sitting in her car. She put it in reverse and pulled off. She drove off because she was afraid. You know what I mean? And I just really feel bad that the sisters don't feel comfortable around us. And, I mean, a lot of it's our fault. You know, a lot of it's our fault. There's been some bad things that happened to you guys, you know, to the black female. But I really felt bad that that sister didn't feel safe to go to the ATM with three brothers standing there. And I know that in other communities, you know, let's say had that been a, you know, Italian community or something like that, uh, that woman, that Italian woman would have felt safe getting out of her car and going to the bank knowing she got three of her Italianos right here, you know, on the street with her. So uh, our women don't feel safe. They don't feel protected by us. And uh, that's something that we got to change. You know, that's something that we got to work on. I hope I answered the question uh, in that. You have. Oh, you always have. You always do. Well, I know we've got about a minute and a half remaining. So in a nutshell, in as concise of a fashion as you can, can you furnish our listeners with a solution of any note pertaining to this subject along with how to contact you? Because I'm always about solutions and and equilibriums. Go ahead. Okay. Um, as far as the solution, it's like I said earlier, you just got you got to love your woman. You got to love your black woman, whether that be your, your mom, whether it be your daughter, whether it be your cousin, your auntie, your wife, um, the lady next door. You know, we got we to gotta start back loving our black women. You know, it's too, much, it's too much hate for black women going on out here. Well, I think they call it misogyny, you know, with the, with the B word and, you know, these different words that we relate to the women and disrespecting the women. I think that we, you know, you call it soft if you love a woman now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember in the 70s and 80s, that's all you heard was love songs and music about loving the woman. Now, you know, well, you know what it sounds like now. It don't sound like that, right? You know, I think a lot of these guys are homosexuals. But anyway, um, you can contact me. I am Ujada Kill. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can call me, 312-586-0347. Uh, I got a book out uh, called Street Certified. So you can contact me. It's on Amazon. It's on Bars and Nobles. You can contact me and get you a signed autograph copy. Um, but the solution, I think the first solution is, you know, start loving our women. And, of course, you know, we got to start loving ourselves. I know that sounds easy, but it's going to be a struggle. Well, it's always a work in progress. The key to it all is exerting the effort. Absolutely. And I thank you and so thanks much. Again for having me. Thanks again for having me on here, Maya. Um, always Mia. a pleasure and a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Always a pleasure, and thank you very kindly, Tazi, 
for chiming in with us as well. Thank you for having me. Oh, indeed a pleasure. I welcome it in the future. Well, I'd like to render my utmost gratitude and appreciation to Mujad Akil for rejoining us this evening and lending us an appetizing and well-warranted sustenance for thought, of course. I also give accolades to Tazi for chiming in, you know, with that very thought-provoking question. Moreover, I extend accolades to my behind-the-scenes team, Bradley, as always, alongside my avid listeners magnifying the globe. Your unwavering loyalty has not gone unnoticed, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, you individually and collectively construct the stage for this radio platform, as you're well aware. Therefore, I implore your continued listenership. Until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off. Thank you.